Hey there, and welcome back to Take One. Today, we're reading page 20 of Tractate Brachot, and our guest, yet again, is the great Rabbi Dovid Meshevkin. What a, what a joy to be here again. Uh, and so, I want to read a longish and curious passage that asks a question that I didn't anticipate, but found myself truly obsessing with the first time it sort of came into my parameter. And the question is, is speaking out loud and thinking something silently to yourself, do these two actions have the same essence and the same quality? So the Mishnah begins. Ezra the scribe decreed that one who is ritually impure because of a seminal omission may not engage in matters of Torah until he has immersed in a ritual bath and purified himself. This halacha was accepted over the course of many generations. However, many disputes arose with regard to the Torah matters to which it applies. Regarding this, the Mishnah says, If the time for the recitation of Shema arrived and one is impure due to a seminal omission, he may contemplate Shema in his heart, but neither recites the blessings preceding Shema nor the blessings following it. Over food which, after partaking, one is obligated by Torah law to recite a blessing, one recites a blessing afterward, but one does not recite a blessing beforehand, because the blessing recited prior to eating is a requirement by rabbinic law. And in all these instances, Rabbi Yehuda says he recites a blessing beforehand and thereafter, in both the case of Shema and in the case of food. So before we go into what the Gemara says, which is what we'll be discussing, the situation here just so we get this straight, is if a person has had a seminal omission, they may not recite certain blessings out loud, but may sort of think them to themselves or, or read them to themselves silently, correct? Well, that's the debate. The debate in the Mishnah is whether or not you can just say them or do you have to think them. So the- here's, here's what the Gemara goes on to say. Ravina said, that is to say from the Mishnah that contemplation is tantamount to speech, As if it would enter your mind that it is not tantamount to speech, then why does one who is impure because of a seminal omission contemplate? It must be that it is tantamount to speech. The Gemara then rejects this. But what are you saying? That contemplation is tantamount to speech? Then if one is impure because of a seminal omission is permitted to contemplate, why does he not utter the words with his lips? The Gemara answers, as we found at Mount Sinai. There, one who had sexual relations with a woman was required to immerse himself before receiving the Torah, which was spoken and not merely contemplated. Here, too, it was decreed that one who was impure due to a seminal omission may not recite matters of Torah out loud until he immerses himself. And Rav Chista said that the opposite conclusion should be drawn from the Mishnah. Contemplation is not tantamount to speech. As if it would enter your mind that contemplation is tantamount to speech, then one who is impure because of a seminal omission should utter Shema with his lips. The Gemara challenges this argument. But what are you saying? That contemplation is not tantamount to speech? If so, why does he contemplate? Rabbi Elazar said, so that a situation will not arise where everyone is engaged in reciting Shema and he sits idly by. Rabbi Beshevkin, this is a furious, 
fascinating debate. It is a debate that has gone on uh, for centuries in both Jewish law and I think in philosophy and thought and, you know, negotiating between intentionality and thought and the ideas and articulation of what of what you're actually going to do. I think there's a lot of really fascinating questions that come up here. One of them is kind of the uniqueness of Torah study, which they're basically modeling it after the original giving of the Torah at Sinai. And that's where they're kind of framing how the approach to Torah study has to be entirely different. But I think there's a kind of fundamental underlying question here, which is how much gravity and weight do we give to thought? And some of the rabbis seem to suggest that it is a lower order action uh, because it is in fact not an action at all. It is some kind of ephemeral, ethereal, thing that happens in your mind, whereas speech is declaration, it is action, it, you know, moves mountains, uh, whereas some seem to suggest uh, that the opposite is true, that once a, a thought formulates, uh, whether or not it is articulated is secondary. You know, I'm thinking a lot now about the the phrase, uh, after any tragedy, people always say thoughts and prayers. Right. And they're always separate, meaning it's thoughts and prayers. And I've always thought there's like a Talmudic underpinning, like you could almost append a Talmud to that phrase and right. say, well, which we, is it? we see from here that prayer cannot be in thought, right. or they would be the same thing. And I think that's very Talmudic, because like, that phrase is telling you that thought is one category, and there's an important category, but prayer and actual kind of religious action needs to be articulated a step further. Uh, where do you fall on that, on that question? I am a believer that you need to articulate. You need to articulate. I think both the Talmud feels that way. And I think that just building kind of a religious capacity and even – I'm not even thinking religiously. I'm thinking about like when I study or when I am writing or when I'm creating something, it's never enough just to think about it. I think that that's important and there's a world that exists in your mind but if anything, creative practice is about allowing yourself to share that with somebody. And sometimes when it just exists in your mind, while it may have value and it may be of importance, the creative act is not complete. The creative act is in finding the exact right words for it. And then, as you said, taking the additional step of putting it out there in the world, understanding full well that it would have consequences either good or deleterious yeah i mean i i think about like when you when you have a, a a piece or you're writing something or you're doing any creative action that step of articulating something is not only what makes it real for the rest of the world i think part of it makes it real for yourself like i've had a lot of pieces that i'm like oh i have a killer essay or idea and in my mind, it's like, this, this is going to be, this is going to change the world. And I sit down on my laptop and I start writing. I'm like, this is not going to change the world. <laughs> like the, the paper like comes back to me and tells me. And then other times you can have a thought and you're like, eh, it like eeks out of you. It's a deadline. That's the only reason why you're doing this. You got to get the word count. And then the act of sharing, the act of articulation, the act of expression is actually what reminds not just the world, but yourself. You're like, wow, that thought was actually so much more powerful and had so much more gravity now that it's out there in the world than it was in my head. So I think that that the 
religious and creative action of stepping over the boundaries of the intimate world of your mind and then sharing it with the rest of the world, there's something very powerful and very spiritual about that that transcends just the legal discussion, but I think as the process of creativity is reflected in this. Amen. Rabbi Bashevkin, thank you so much. What a joy. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoyed this show, please go rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly section of Reading Daf Yomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz, our producer is Josh Cross. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope you've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.